So, um, once again, happy Father's Day, dads. Amen? Uh, a little boy, uh, when he was asked to explain about Father's Day, said, Well, it's just like Mother's Day, only you don't spend as much on the presents. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, yes, fathers are just as important. And I would say so, in uh, light of the current uh, times that we're living in, where there are attempts to redefine the roles of fathers. It's even more important to have a biblical understanding of fathers, of fatherhood. Um, so today I kind of want to spend a little bit of time with you guys um, thinking about and considering what the Bible has to say to us about fatherhood. So I thought what we would do is kind of start from the beginning as an introduction. Let's not forget what Genesis 1.27 says. That God created man in his own image. In, his image of, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we see here that in Genesis, which is the book of beginnings, that God created man in his own image. Man has a special place in creation. Because nothing else is created in his image except for man. So with that, I think it gives us permission to say this, that any good characteristic, let me, let me emphasize good, okay? Any good characteristic found in a man or a father, right, reveals a quality of our God. So if you have experienced a good characteristic or quality from your father, or a person who takes the role of a father, right? That is a reflection of who God is, because man was created in God's image. Anything admirable, whatever that might be, that's found in a father, it communicates to us what God's like. So we can think of our Heavenly Father as distance and way out there and probably maybe erroneous and erroneously not maybe but erroneously we may think we can't identify with him but he's given us this passage to understand that if we find that good quality that good trait in a father that is who God is and we get to multiply it infinitely so if your father was a good provider, God is much more than that. If your father was a good instructor, if you would, or teacher, that is the Lord and much more. We're going to look at a verse right now, and I think it would be uh, worth considering. Um, but first, let me read, uh, before I read that, let me kind of finish my uh, little bit of an introduction here. Uh, Paul, when he addresses the family in Ephesians chapter 6, and this is a very popular verse, um, he asks children to, to do this one thing in their relationship with their fathers. And it's to honor your father and mother, but today's not Mother's Day, so we're just going to talk about fathers. To honor them. And... Uh, 
Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 6, 2, and 3 that this is the first commandment with a promise. There's a promise for children who honor their parents that it would go well with them or with you and that you may enjoy a long life on earth. So that's my aim today, to honor um, fatherhood. And by honoring fatherhood, we're honoring Jesus Christ who not only designed fatherhood, but he created them. We know that from John chapter 1, that he's the creator of all things. Nothing that's created was created without him. So, and at the same time, I have the privilege of also being able to honor my own father, my earthly father. This is the, the objective that I have today. And it's true that God is our father, our Heavenly Father. Uh, Jesus came on the scene in Matthew chapter 6. You can look at it later. And he says to his disciples to pray saying this, Our Father which art in heaven. No, there's not art in heaven. There's, it's really which is in heaven, right? That's old English, King James, right? <laughs> there is art in heaven, but that's not what it's referring to here. Amen. Our Father... Basically, Jesus teaches his disciples to talk to God as a father. That's what he's saying there. He taught them that. And I want to also address the fact that the name Father is not one we have chosen for God. We didn't choose the name Father. He chosen that for himself. He asks us to call him that himself in the scriptures. The Apostle Paul takes this further when he talks about the relationship with our Heavenly Father, he tells them that the Spirit of His Son would come into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. Abba being Aramaic for Daddy. So there's an intimacy, if you will, in the name. It's unmistakable. If you had uh, experienced that intimacy, you know what I'm talking about. And so, Jesus reflects that intimacy, like for instance, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he's faced with the the perspective of death, the cross, when he cries out to his Father, and he uses this closest of terms of endearment, Abba, Father, that's found in Mark 14, 36. He cries out to his Father, from Gethsemane, which is the place where he began his passion, understanding where he was headed, and that was to Calvary's cross. And how does he address his father? He he says it in the most endearing term, Abba, which is literally Daddy. Imagine that. Can we see, can we understand, can we appreciate and acknowledge that ours is a relationship of intimacy it's a personal relationship with our, with our God who is the creator of the universe, who's Lord of Lord and King of Kings, but yet He's a Father? It, it, it's mind-boggling. But we learn of that from the Scriptures. You know, we, we too, like Jesus, can cry out to our Heavenly Father when we are facing times of desperation, when we are in need, and we can have certainty that He will hear us. We can have security that He cares about us, that He's compassionate for us. 
all of us who are in Christ by faith, we learn that in our Ephesian study, which I'm taking a week off from today, that when we put our trust in Christ, we become in Christ, and Christ comes in us. We, we're one. So, um, we're all of God's children when we trust Christ. Uh, John 1.12, uh, the, uh, the, the disciple of Jesus who wrote that, uh, that gospel said, To all who receive him, who believe in his name, referring to Jesus, he gave the right to become the children of God. So our faith make us children of God. So as Christians, we have come to accept this paternal metaphor. God compares himself to a father, which, which we have. And this metaphor, this comparison um, of God's fatherhood, uh, uh, it gives us a revelation to his nature and character. We can understand who God is by the fact that we understand our earthly fathers. Specifically, and I do have to continue to refer back if they're good. And we know, and I'm going to address the fact that some weren't and aren't. And that's a hard reality to accept. Some fathers are absent or were absent. Some fathers were not good fathers. But I would address that in a minute. I have an answer for you. If that is your experience, I'm sorry, but that doesn't negate who our Heavenly Father is and what He's like. It may be troublesome for you to connect to that reality. I get that. I learned that the hard way as a teacher. Early in my career, um, I talked to the students a lot of times within the context of my understanding of my father thinking everyone had a nuclear family, everybody had a good father, and I would tell the, talk to the kids in terms, okay, hey, take this home to your father, have them sign it, or take this home to your parents. And I learned from some students that they didn't have fathers. They were either foster, or they were living with a single mom and didn't ever meet them. You know, it's kind of a hard reality when yours is different and then you come to realize that that's not everyone's experience. But that doesn't cancel or in any way negate that we still have a good, good Father in heaven. Amen? We'll talk about that in a minute. So our need today, I think, as we address fatherhood, is to understand what God has to say about it, right? What it actually is and what it isn't. And then we can probably begin uh, to um, understand that by looking at the scripture. So look at this verse up here. This is a passage that I, uh, for a while used to confuse me. And I uh, have taken a real good look at it. And I'd like to kind of break it down a little bit for you today. And hopefully you leave today with a greater understanding of who, who our Heavenly Father is. It says this. And then I want to pray after this so we can ask God's blessing on our sermon. That was the introduction, and now we're going to look at the verse. Amen? You know, I just love it when I can kind of do things backwards. Sometimes my sermon is real short, but the introduction is really long. You guys are looking at me funny. 
I don't know how all this happens. I just get up here and talk. I did study. So I want God to speak to me. He says, what father among you? This is the words of Jesus in Luke 11, 11 through 13. You see it up on the screen, right? He says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, he will give him a scorpion. If you then, your fathers, he's addressing, who are evil, which easily we can replace the word evil there with sinners. You who are sinners, right? Is anyone here, any here, any fathers here not a sinner? Raise your hand. Well, then you would have a false understanding of what it is to be a sinner, right? You're not going to raise your hand. I love that, those parts when I can do that. But I'm challenging you. What's that mean? You who are sinners, evil, right? We, we carry the, the fallen nature. We're sinners, right? If you know how to give good gifts to your children, in spite of the fact that you're evil, sinners, still know how to do good, how much more? Underline that in your Bible. There should never not be underlined that particular part. See, because what you say, if you, Jesus, being a sinner, know how to do good, I've seen you do good to your children. How much more? Get it? That's what the point is here. Right? I've seen you, you fathers. I've seen how wonderful you are to your children. Congratulations. But how much more? I'm going to have to stick on that one for a few minutes. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? By giving the Holy Spirit, what He's given us is life. That's what He's referring to. New life. Can even be born again without the Holy Spirit. That's the argument that Jesus had with Nicodemus. Oh, how can I enter the kingdom of heaven? He never even answered the question of how he could enter into the kingdom of heaven. He just told him, it is, you must be born again if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, what must I do? You can't do anything. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's why he referred to the new birth as. So how much more will our Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit. And if he gives us the Holy Spirit, he's given us the best that we could ever ha ask for. Because with the Holy Spirit, then we lack nothing. Right? It's, be it's better than, he, than if he gave us money. It's better than if he gave us whatever. But if he gives us the Holy Spirit, he's given us eternal life. Amen? He's given us a relationship with himself. So let's pray. Father, thank you for Father's Day. Thank you for this pause in our regular study and sermon series in Ephesians to look at uh, fatherhood and to look at uh, this wonderful idea, this design, this role that, that men have that is so important, not only in society, but even more so in the church, which is the light of the world. Help us, Father, to see today uh, and get a glimpse uh, of who you are through the lens of fatherhood. We're so grateful, Lord, for your word. We're so grateful for what you're showing us. And our prayer is that we would leave today uh, with a greater understanding and a stronger faith because of it. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So any good father on this verse that we're looking at here, any good father loves to bless 
his children, right? And would never answer one of their simple requests, like for fish, and then give them a serpent, or like an egg, and give them what? A scorpion, right? Any, any good father would never answer the simplest of requests for something good, in this case, food, right? It's a basic need of, of life. He would never um, neglect that child or outright give them something evil, would he? Not if he's a good father. Amen? So I, I think what we see here is that this is the case for us, that our fathers do, did good for us, provided for us uh, in, that, in this sense. I like how Jesus does, uses uh, the most basic need. Hey, Dad, can I have some fish? Sure, son. Hey, Dad, I'd like to have an egg. All right. Can I, do we see how, that, how simple that is? If, if, and here's the rule of that. There's a rule in that. If we know how to be faithful in little, then we'll be faithful in much. So if the father is good enough, in spite of his sinful condition, to give the most basic of things, then you extend that out to our heavenly father who give us the most profound of things. Right? So... Um, what we learn from this little passage, and I'm just going to stick with it, and I'm going to throw out some other verses from the Bible. Uh, what we learn is that uh, uh, God will answer us with much more. Much more. The much more God. The, look in Romans 5. Read the first 15 verses. Much more is, is uh, mentioned three or four times. And you, and, and you can appreciate. So what this verse and this little passage that I have up on the screen tells us is that uh, Jesus describes his father as generous. That's the first thing we learn. He's generous. Amen? He's not, not a, what's that? Not greedy or he's not, um, you know, like uh, selfish. He's generous. Uh, I like to say that um, Jesus describes uh, his father as a giver. A giver. We love givers. Givers are cool. No one here would ever turn down a gift if it was, if it was a good gift. I mean, hey, thank you. you. makes you feel good. And, and, that, and we know that from the most basic of verses and most popular probably. For God so loved the world that he, he gave. He gave. So this verse, not only speaking to us of the most basic of needs, how much more will your heavenly father do of your earthly fathers who are... Uh, lean into and tend to uh, bend towards sin. That's what we're referring to when we say evil. How much more will your Father give you good things? So Jesus tells us that his Heavenly Father is generous, and, and we never need to doubt God's desire to provide for us. You have a need? Everybody here has needs. I could probably just start over here and, and, and make a big, long list from what you tell me. And everybody's will be different, and some things will be the same. But I think this verse up here, when we look at the fatherhood of our Heavenly Father, it, the first thing that comes out and leaps out from this verse is that He's generous, that He's a, he's a provider. So the problem is not so much that God is a, 
not a good provider, I think a lot of times we may say, well, then what's going on in my life? I think the problem is we're not good at receiving what he has to provide. Because he's a good provider. It's the other way around is to, ta- to be able to receive what he, he's willing to provide. So we find then that this is a good trait in fathers. They're, they're generous. If you love your children, if you're a good father, you're generous with your, with your children. And so any good trait that you may have experienced with your father, just think about it for a second then this verse has given me permission to tell you that our Heavenly Father is much more. I know I'm repeating myself, but that's the point. And here's the thing. I have, Robert Correa, I have a wonderful earthly father. Amazing man. And I'm blessed beyond what words can describe him. This is Horacio Correa, my father. And I consider it a great privilege. But because of my experience of the goodness of my earthly father, that's given me this incredible responsibility. And it, 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 it does not excuse me from saying, I don't know who God is. I know who God is. I know how good he is because I, had a, I have a good father at 92 still. You see what I'm saying? Having a good father, having experienced those attributes, the, the, his character and nature in many different ways in your lifetime, is giving you a glimpse into who our Heavenly Father is. However, that experience or that goodness that you have uh, lived with, it, it, you need multiply it infinitely, and that's who God is. Amen? That's who God is. So whatever good you, you may have found... Now I know, and I was referring to this a moment ago, that perhaps and or for sure that there are some here that may not have had a great relationship with their father. I get that. I understand that. I'm also aware of the fact that some of you may not have had a father. I'm just going to say it like that. So all I can say is I'm sorry about that. Okay? But... That has probably made it difficult for you to think of God as your father in good terms. In other words, it's very possible, especially for those of you whose earthly fathers may have left them with unhappy memories or recollections of sinful behavior and consequences of that and pain and suffering, you probably had a difficult time of thinking as, of God as is a father. But here's where I think what we can do and I think is the best thing that I could offer you is that if you consider God's fatherhood, you can know that his fatherhood has not ever been touched or marked by sin. Okay? God has never sinned. He has never done evil toward his children. So, you, so one thing is you may not have had that. And I know of even my own friends, they say, hey man, that really taught me. So we're going to take all things work together for good, the concept in Romans 8.28. And my friends have arrived to the conclusion, I know what not to be for my children. So we could use that negative, horrible experience and you can take it and say, I will never be that. 
And you will be a wonderful father. Because you know exactly what not to do. Some of us have to learn it by trial and error. So, I say that much so far. Right? Any, um, all that we know about uh, genuine fatherhood at its best. So let's say, for instance, in my case, the best that my father has to offer me uh, is a pale reflection of what God the Father has to offer us. You know, I know it's hard, and, 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 and I know that uh, one of the things that you can do then is think of who has been a paternal figure in your life. So, okay, you didn't have that, that father. You know what I like about Christianity? We can face everything face on. Not being mean, but just being real. Especially nowadays. What you can do is you may have had someone else who was a wonderful paternal figure in your life. Someone who filled that role in your life. An uncle, a big brother, a coach, a teacher, yay, teachers, a neighbor, one of the men here at church, your pastor, hopefully. Somewhere, you may have run across someone, had an encounter with a man that was a figure of a father to you. And you can say that you had something good that you experienced. Right? Whatever that person did to encourage you, to love you, to give you direction, to make, provide, to protect, right? Uh, to instruct. Uh, whatever that person gave you, you can also take that and multiply it out infinitely. And that gives you a glimpse to who God is. See, we don't have any excuses Really, we don't have any excuses because we all have had someone in our lives, some man somewhere, at, at some level who has been good to you. You call him, you know, bro or whatever, however that works, right? God then has chosen to identify himself as, as good in the t context of a father and there are characteristics then that we can look at in these people, our fathers, our earthly fathers, or those father figures, and we can know who God is. Because he wants to reveal himself to us that way. Amen? Here's another thing I can say about God. So we know he's generous from this verse. Well, I'm not going to have any other verses up there because i got a few that I just want to refer to. We also know that God is, loves His children. Another thing we know, He's not only generous, but He loves them. Uh, John, 1 John 4, 19 says, We love Him because He first loved us. He loved us and loved us first. That's another way of putting it. If we love Him, it's because He first reached out to us. That's beautiful. Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrated or he showed his own love for us in, that, in this, that while we were still sinners, that is undeserving, Christ died for us. Talk about love. We didn't even deserve it. And yet he loved us in that Christ died for our sins. 
right? He didn't wait for us to meet some expectation or wait for us to make him proud. He loves us anyway. He didn't wait for us to measure up to some standard. Uh, he loved us first, completely and unconditionally. Isn't that wonderful? There isn't anything you can do now or ever that would make him love you less or more. That's weird. Because we live in a merit-based society. Oh, you deserve to be loved. Not in the Christian context. You are loved because he's a God of integrity and dignity. He gave us that when he went to Calvary's cross so that we would have a path to reconciliation. A path to be redeemed when we had none before he sent his son to an undeserving humanity. Do you see how much he loved us? In spite of us, he loved us. Again, there isn't anything you can do. Anything you can do that, to make him love you less. And there isn't anything you can do to make him love you more. So just receive it. That's what I was talking about before. The problem isn't that he's not a giver. The problem is that we're not good receivers. We don't know how to receive it. And then when we receive it, rest in the gift of his grace. Grace means we don't have to work. We just get to live freely. And why are we working so hard to get something that he's already paid for? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Gotta, gotta, gotta. Shoulda, shoulda, shoulda. Woulda, woulda, woulda. No. Just receive it. Accept it. And enjoy it. Because it's free. That's a good father. So, we may disappoint him. I know I have. We may disobey him. I uh, mumble. Not me. Not me. Not me. We may disobey him. And that saddens him because we, we're, we're going to read in the next uh, chapter of Ephesians that we're not to quench the spirit. That we're not to, we're not to sadden him as the Spanish says. Spanish says entristecer. When we disobey him, we may even go astray, like get lost. But that doesn't stop him from loving us. He will go after us, leave the 99 to find the lost. Amen? See, Romans 8, 38, again, I'm talking about the Father. We know He's generous from this verse, but from the verses I've been reading to you, we, he loved us, uh, we love Him because He first loved us. Also from the verse that He demonstrated His love toward us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us and demonstrated His love for us. Romans 8, 38 to 39 says, Paul says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future or any power neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
I mean, I could easily say, if, if you know the Heavenly Father, you know He's generous from this verse. If you know the Heavenly Father, you know He loves us, His children from these verses. Right? He's generous, and He, lo- he also encourages us. That's what a good father would do to encourage us because life is difficult and there are tasks that he's assigning to us that may not be easy. Like, for instance, when Moses uh, uh, called, was called by God at the burning bush and he, he, he hesitated and he balked, if you would, because, you know, after all, uh, he, he probably didn't feel worthy, but he also was a lousy speaker, you know. And he says uh, he, he was encouraged by God uh, to, to go, go ahead and do it. Uh, by the way, your brother will help you. He'll give us people to help us along in the path, right? He gave them uh, uh, the authority. We know that he used it in Egypt. God's an encourager of his children. When uh, he encouraged Joshua uh, uh, to go into the promised land, right? He gave him his word. Now here Moses died and now uh, there's these millions of People that are now time to go into the promised land, but they have to cross the Jordan River, which at the flood stage. So how are we going to get past the river? And he tells them what to do with the priest and the ark and put it in the middle and the, it's, it's subsided, it, st- it stood still. And they crossed over and conquered the promised land. He said to Joshua, because God encourages his children, you guys, got it tough? Anyone got it tough out there? Myself. A little rough out there, a little tough and rough sometimes. Life happens kind of stuff. Right? So here's what the Lord says to Joshua in, uh, in, in uh, chapter 1-9. Haven't I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified or do not fear. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So yeah, it's... it's, it's, it's uh, it's kind of chaotic out there sometimes. You know? Kind of messed up. And you've got to go live there tomorrow. The world. He says he's going to be with you. Be strong. Be courageous. Go take on the day in Jesus' name, is what I like to say all the time. How do you do it? Well, no, man. I've got to go face those monsters called students. And I say it, I want to take on the day in Jesus' name. And then there we go, right, Yolanda? They're not all monsters. Some of them are cute monsters. Don't be terrified. Be strong and courageous. Do not be discouraged. For, and you know that that verse and that saying is the most repeated verse in all of Scripture? So God saw the things that his children would have to face. But he says, hey, you don't need to worry. Because what's the most important thing about me is I'm going to go wherever you go. Wherever? Wherever. I looked it up in the, in the Hebrew. And you know what wherever means? It means wherever. Beautiful. Who is our, 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 our Heavenly Father? He's the one who encourages His children. He's the one who loves His children. He's the one who's generous to His children. Amen? That, that's, what, that's what it says. I, I guess I have to decide if I'm going to believe God. 
You see, he encourages them no matter what they have to face. And in this case, they have to conquer the promised land that's filled with their enemies. And then he says, to be strong, I'm going with you. Notice his words. What are his words? They're words of encouragement. Fathers, please don't use your words to discourage your kids. You don't have anything encouraging to say. Don't say anything at all. Please. Because we tend to, and we're prone to send messages laced with criticism and negativism. Please don't use. It is not true that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Yeah, they will. You never forget. They, they shape children. And then children have to later learn how to overcome those deficiencies of, that you had toward them. But we can overcome them. Because we have a good, good father in heaven. We can. So many parents, instead of encouraging their children, they discourage them. They criticize them. They curse them. I know what I'm talking about. You don't get to be pastor for very long to discover some of the dark side of relationships that we hide in church. But when we go out and live our lives out there, we're quite the opposite. Same, same, same. Goes for many other things. Paul says, do not... Let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up. If it doesn't edify, shut it up. Be quiet. You're going to affect your children for life. Right? If it doesn't build up according to their needs, notice it's according to their needs, not your needs. Not, not about you, it's about them. What's best for them? That's what a good father does and that's what our Heavenly Father is. And we may have the, had the blessing of also experiencing that good encouraging word from our own earthly fathers as well as our, their love and as well as their generosity in which I can say today, I have a great burden on me because I have a wonderful father and then I need be that same wonderful father to my own son and to this church it's a heavy burden because I don't have excuses. Because I know and I have taste and seen what a good father is. And therefore I have also taste and seen what a good heavenly father is. So I would be more accountable to God to face him one day if I did not live up to the revelation that I had in my own personal life. But you too have that. Even if you didn't have a father that was uh, guiding you and encouraging you, you, loving you and generous to you. Because there's somebody, I'm sure, if you look at your life and do an, an inventory, someone in your life that God has moved and placed in your life that you had an encounter with where you experienced something good and that good little part that you found in that man that uncle that teacher that pastor that then shows you who God is and he is much more than that so none of us have excuses we need to quit playing victims 
boo-hoo-hoo, woe is me. What? You have a heavenly father who looks over you. Another thing that God does, and we don't really like it so much, is that he disciplines us. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. If your father doesn't discipline you, that's a sign that he doesn't love you. My mother talks about her father telling her that if you allow a tree to grow crooked and the trunk grows strong enough and big enough, you can never straighten it out anymore. Thank God the only thing that can straighten out that kind of crookedness is the blood of Christ. He's the only one that can break those chains. So look for him. If there's something in your life that you can't overcome that's not pleasing the Father, go to him and say this, that, and the other thing and spell it out to him and ask him to heal you and to save you from that, to, re to free you from that. Hey, there was a story. Okay, so I don't know if it's true, but I found this. So I liked it. About God disciplining his children. Well, here's a story of a father who um, was going to discipline his triplets. And uh, the three young boys, they got, they got along really well. They learned to form an alliance. So if, uh, if, if, if there was one of them that got into trouble, none of them would snitch. Right? They, got, they, held, they stuck together. And his father is trying to figure out a way to discipline, but he could never find out who was responsible because they wouldn't snitch. One day the neighbor asked the father, how in the world do you know which one to punish if there's any trouble since they always stick together and they don't snitch? This is a father that wants to discipline but doesn't know who to, right? You know, that's really easy. I just sent all three of them to bed without their dinner. And then the next morning, I spanked the one with a black eye. <laughs> so they all three went to dinner without food and the two would gang up on the one who didn't say, I did it. Uh, there's always a way to... There's a lot of ways to skin a cat if you really want to, right? <laughs> good father disciplines no matter how he has to figure out a way. So God is good. He's a loving father. Thank God he's not going to give us a black eye per se, but he disciplines us. Proverbs uh, 3.12 says, The Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. So discipline is a reflection of God's character. The last one I want to talk about is how God protects his children. Some of us need to be aware that God is protecting us. I don't know. It doesn't matter where you have to go, where you are. You know, God thought ahead of time in his creation and knows that we live sometimes in unsafe environments, unpleasant threatening environments, that there are evil people out there. God's going to protect us. I remember I went to the aquarium in Santa, um, no, Monterey Bay. And there was this one little aquarium that you, you went in and there's like a, one of those black lights. So it's real dark. Because these particular creatures lived way, way at the bottom of the ocean where there is no light. And I, and I was looking at this one creature that's in this little aquarium that's dark. And the only reason I could see it, because it had its own light. It had some kind of little weird antenna with a little light on it. 
And he just kind of went around. He's looking for something to eat. This enough to see the next meal. You don't think God, if God could protect some microscopic creature in the bottom of the ocean, what would he, how much more would he do for you? You don't think he's creative enough, has abundance enough, has the way to supply all your needs according to his riches and glory? And you're worried about the next thing? What? I mean, it's, it's really, and then notice that um, God has given each creature the means for which to be able to hunt for their food, even if it's my top of my head. And some of you may not know, but I got attacked by a falcon this week. I still have the scars. I had to call my doctor and get a tetanus shot. I was walking to my mailbox over in the place I live. It's out in front, so I had to go down this sidewalk. And all of a sudden, bam! And my head kind of, what? What? The, what? And, I, and I, I, I was stunned because it came from behind me. I'm just going to go get my mail. That's all I was doing. Just, I do it all every day. And all of a sudden I get hit and I turn around. I thought for a split second that Sammy was like hiding behind a tree and he's bopped me one. And I was getting ready to wrestle him to the ground. But there was no one there. And then I thought, pine cone. But the tree that I was walking by wasn't a pine tree. Then I got a little, I said, oh, branch? A branch broke and hit me in the head. But it wasn't a light thing. It was hard. I still have the scars five days later. Then, this is true. I'm turning around, I'm going, there's no one. Nothing. No pine cone, no branch, no Sammy trying to pull a fast one on me. I go, demons are real. Demons are real. Because <laughs> it must have been some supernatural thing. <laughs> and then God in his love and grace allowed the woman who had the apartment in front of where I was walking came out of the patio with her little baby. He goes, did you just get attacked by that bird? That happened to me yesterday. And I'm going, yeah, and then just as it happened, as she's talking to me, here comes that hawk, like, like a stealth bomber. Ah! Ah! Right at me, and all I could do is go like this. And it, of course, it's not dumb. It finally veered off. And it still tried a third time. It whizzed right by me, and it's like they can't do anything because they're protected. It must have a nest. So I went to go research on the Internet, of course. And the only reason, they're afraid of us. The only reason they would attack is they feel threatened and directly or they have a nest. And it must be a nest. So I say that because even a hawk will go out to find provision for their little young ones. Even if they think it's my wig. <laughs> I don't know what to say, church. But so... I went up to the front office and I said, what are we supposed to do then if you can't do anything about it? Like, I'm getting ready to get one of those M80 firecrackers in the middle of the night 
I'm going to throw it out in front of the tree and it's going to make this huge boom and they're gonna, the bird's going to either die of a heart attack or fly off. But they say they can't do anything because they're protected. So they're protected. Even a bird is protected. How much more are you protected by God who loves you? But not only that, they told us, well, just walk around with an umbrella. They don't like the big object. They don't know what it is, so they won't skydive on you. So even umbrellas, we have an umbrella protecting us because look what Abraham was told by the Lord. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And then I go to Romans 8.31 and Paul says this about God's protection for his children. If God be for us, who can be against us? Who? No one or anything. Church, I hope you know who your heavenly father is. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. And help us, Lord, to receive this truth in our hearts and minds and to live our lives free, Lord, to serve you and to have joy and peace, confidence, security, knowing that we're provided for, we're loved, knowing, Lord, that you will correct us when necessary, knowing, Lord, that uh, there isn't anything that can come against us. So we thank you in Jesus' name for this we ask it all in the name of our Heavenly Father and in the name of His Son, Jesus. Amen.